Well, hello, everyone. And may I just say, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it's all that I need. People are wondering, is this one of those crucial times that you can get out? It's, it's really worth it. And I've gone over that, and I came to the conclusion that, yes, it is. It's one of the most essential things we can be doing right now. And just like we need physical food, oh, do we need spiritual food. We need to know that we have a God who reigns and a God who knows and who understands and who is really there. And we are at the most critical, crucial point of the gospel. We love Christmas. We, we love Jesus' teachings. But now we have gotten into the last couple of weeks, the, the death and the cruel death, the crucifixion of our Savior. To know he, he needed a drink to be able to say, uh, it is finished. It is finished. He accomplished his father's will. Our redemption has been has been bought. We are now at the point of of seeing what he went through for you and for me for our salvation that we could not only have abundant life here but a future in heaven. To know that that um, he was buried by uh, Joseph and Nicodemus. We, we know he was wrapped in 75 pounds of spices that showed his love and his, his wealth, of course, Nicodemus's, but, but we see his love, his, his life. And so um, we, we um, know that the, the Sunday is coming, and it came. Today's lesson is that Sunday has come, and Jesus has been raised from the dead. And what a story. Oh, what a story. So would you open your Bibles with me to the 20th chapter of John? And, and I think if we need to look at anything here, we need to see human emotion. We need to see how our human emotions can deter us from seeing what we need to see, maybe even believing what we need to believe. So I'm going to kind of hit on that a little bit as we go through, but, but come with me as we hear John say, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Just think, she saw the stone rolled away. And we know from other Gospels that Jesus, when he arose on that day, we know that there were other women that came along with Mary Magdalene. But for some reason, John wants us to center in on Mary Magdalene. He doesn't even say why they came. He just wants us to center in on this particular woman and her experience on this most special day. 
when she saw the tomb, the stone by the tomb was removed, she went running. She went running back to Simon Peter and the other disciple, which by now we know that John is talking about himself, the one Jesus loved. Again, I can't reiterate enough how that sentence is so important in that he identified himself as not only one of Jesus, but yet he was one that Jesus loved. I hope you and I can say that. I hope you can. I hope you can look at that and say, I have experienced the love of Jesus, the unconditional, unworthy love, grace of Jesus. He got it. So when Mary Magdalene ran back, she went to Peter and she went to John, and this is what she said. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, I stopped there because did you notice where her mind automatically went? Her human nature. Now, this is what I'm talking about, our human emotions. Even though we've been created with them and, and they can be such good things, they can, when out of place or out of control, can really, can really help us, or should I say help us, or, or not help us, but they can cause us to miss. And what did Mary do? She immediately thought, someone took him, someone took him, we don't know where he is. You can hear her panic or franticness. Now, all of the followers of Jesus, especially the disciples, and I believe Mary Magdalene was one of the close followers of Jesus. I don't know, there's many stories about her. She has quite a past. We don't know, we don't really know. All we know is that she knew she was a sinner in need of a savior. And so what she did, it's, it's all of us. She represents all of us. We know we need a Savior, and we've come to him because we know he is the one and only, and she's experienced that, and I pray every one of you have too. She immediately thought someone took him. Now, Jesus had said many times that he was going to die, and he was going to rise again. He would say that. He would say he would rise again on the third day. Now, let's just see for a second what, what, what can our mind and our emotions do. It can just kind of get us stuck into the now. It can get us stuck into, oh no, this is, this is the reality. Someone took them and it can Keep our minds from remembering the hope that we have. Jesus said he was going to rise, but they were so taken. Mary was so taken. Her grief was so great that she automatically thought and didn't think that, that it could possibly be anything but someone stole them. 
I can't help but think how many of us have that. We get so stuck in our now, our reality. We just think of the uh, the pain and the suffering right now. We just think of, oh, what this is doing for me here and how it's going to affect me me here. And we don't, we, we don't go to the place where we hear Jesus say to us, but I am with you. And yes, in this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome. Take heart. What about those promises? What about hearing the Apostle Paul say that we can count on him, that he will supply what we need, that he knows exactly what we're going through, and he has a reason for it. So I just had to point that out. I know for me personally, I needed to see that. That how sometimes when I'm so caught in my human nature and in my wanting things to be just so right and, and I want to be comfortable and happy and, and I don't want anything going wrong. And I miss that there is, there, there is something more. There's always something more with Jesus and it's always for our good. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, why did John admit that? Why did he say that he ran faster than Peter? I mean, I mean, was he showing off? Did he want us to know that he was in better shape? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I don't think he wanted to um, toot his horn here that he was uh, fast and speedy and all that. I think what, what happened, he wanted us to know that, that that announcement that Jesus was not in the tomb and his love and his longing for his Savior, his, his feelings for Jesus at this point after watching Jesus die that cruel death I think he he ran faster he probably ran faster than he knew he even was capable of I think the adrenaline kicked in and he couldn't get there fast enough he admits he admits that he got there faster but he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. He admits these details. He got there fast, and he looked in, and he saw that the, that the linen was lying there. But Peter, and this is so typical, then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. You can almost, if you put yourself in there, you can almost see that. He probably pushed John aside and thought, well, if you're not going in, I'm going in. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth, the cloth was folded up by itself, separated from the linen. John wants us to see here that it was so different than, 
than any other, well, when Lazarus was raised, remember when Jesus um, said, take those cloths off him, unwind him. Here we see that what they witnessed, what they saw was uh, uh, something happened here that no human hands could, could have done this. A, they were laying there, the way that the cloth was folded, there was so, there was something about that that no human being could have, have, have done this and left it like that. This is what John noticed. Finally, finally. And I noticed that when, he, when John wrote the word finally, finally he went in. Finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he went inside. He finally did it. Where, where did I just hear that word finally? And John used it just, just in our other lesson when, when he was talking about Pilate. When when all of a sudden, in chapter 19, Pilate finally, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So why did John use that word finally? I had to think about that. Finally. I think it was because you, when you finally do something, it's after you think about it and you make a conscientious decision to do it. Pilate had many things he was trying to find that Jesus was worthy of death and he couldn't. He tried to get them to reason, the Jewish leaders. He tried to get them to reason and they wouldn't even reason and so Finally, he just handed him over. John, I think he stood at that doorway and he finally, finally he made the choice to go in there. He reached the tomb first. Yep, he did, but he stood there and he thought about it. He thought it through and then finally he went in and he saw Look at this. He saw and believed. See, he, he uh, since, since the whole washing of the feet, John has been so taken with, with the whole heart of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and, and he is probably starting to recall many of the things that Jesus taught him, and he saw that. He looked those linen cloths. He saw that no human could have touched that. He believed. He saw it and he made a choice to believe it. He still did not understand though from, from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. He believed, just see that he believed, but yet they didn't understand from scripture that Jesus had had to. Those words are so 
important and good right there. They didn't understand. They did not realize. John believed. He, he knew that something miraculous happened. He believed that Jesus was gone and that no human took him. But he puts in there, in parentheses, they didn't understand it, though. And, you know, I, I thought to myself, when I was little and through many years of my life, I believed Good Friday. I believed Jesus died on that cross. I believe on Sunday morning when we went to church and we celebrated the empty tomb. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. But did I really understand and I have to say, no, no, I did not. I did not fully understand. I did not understand that, that if it wasn't for the resurrection, death would have not been overcome. Satan would have not been overcome. I know when Jesus died, I know that all represented if he hadn't died, he wouldn't have, been, he wouldn't have had to rise. I get that. But the resurrection, in fact, let me just let the apostle Paul tell you. He can, he can put it in better words than me. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, listen to what Paul says. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. In fact, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. So that means our sins have been bought and paid for. And that, yes, we can believe that by faith, that the cross did work, and that blood that was shed did fulfill the sacrifice. And when he rose from the dead... He raised himself and us into new life. New life. We will never, never die. Our earthly shell will, but our, the, the part of us that is, is us is safe in his hands. We will live forevermore. I'm telling you, this is the most exciting chapter but did I understand the, what the resurrection really meant for me years ago? No, but I do now. So I did understand. They, they didn't quite get it yet. They didn't understand, but they're going to, they will. The more you get to know Jesus through his word, through his spirit, keeping going over the truth with you in your mind. I think for me, every, every Good Friday, every, every resurrection day means more. 
and, and here I've celebrated it how many years? I mean, plenty of years. And yet, the more I celebrate it, the older I get, the more precious, the dear it gets. And I, in fact, I even get chills. I shudder to think if he wasn't willing to do it. And if he hadn't, what were I, where would I be right now? But Paul says, but he did. He did do it. He did die and he did rise. And that's what you and I can live in. Then in, in the next verse, it says in verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. Oh, Peter and John, they went back home. But Mary, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. See, here's another emotion that she was so, she was so grieved. And we do, when someone we love dies, we grieve. And that is so normal and permissible and, and just, we can't help it. We, we grieve, we mourn. But the danger of grief just like the emotion of anger and hatred from the chief priests and the Roman officials. They hated Jesus so much that, look, at it did. It just absolutely caused them to do something that wasn't even fair. It wasn't even right. How can a human being even do that? You can't help but wonder. But anger and hatred can take over your your take over you and you don't even think straight. Then we know that, that grief is another huge one. We're going to see fear is another one that can just overtake us and then we forget. We, we get blinded. And I think that's what happened here. Mary was so overcome with grief. She stood at the tomb crying. She wept. She went over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And then, and then these angels, they spoke to her. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Why, why can't you remember that Jesus said that he was going to rise in three days? Why can't, you, why can't you just get past your grief to the point of knowing that Jesus always has a promise? He always has, has a reason. Why are you crying? And what does, what does, if we don't get a handle on that, if we don't get past that, that grief and the mourn and the weeping and we, we aren't willing to hear Jesus say, but I've got a future for my children. I, I have your days counted. I know exactly what I'm doing with every one of you. And, and even though we have a human loss, we have promises that Jesus himself has said to get us through the the process of the emotion taking over us. 
but we have to choose to see the hope that always Jesus gives us. He, in fact, Paul said in Romans 5 that we have a hope because Paul even was describing sufferings and that, and, and he was saying, do you realize that if you're willing, you will see that even in our hardest times and our sufferings, because God is up to something, especially when it comes to his children, he gives us a, a perseverance, he gives us strength, he gives us hope. And in Paul says, it's a hope that will never disappoint you. So when these angels said, why are you crying? Why are you so down? Why, why can't you get beyond this and see and hear and remember what Jesus promised? You know, sometimes when we're so taken with our emotions, we just get into such a dark place. And I couldn't help but go back to John 1, that John reminds us that Jesus is our light in the darkness. But so often when we're in the darkness, we don't even want any light. We don't want to have, we don't want to see the light doesn't make sense, I know, but that's just what I mean about human nature. But when you choose to go back and hear John say, but we have a light that will help us see, that will keep us moving down the path, that will keep us on our feet, that will keep dark and defeat and despair away from us. And then she just, I mean, it just came out. They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. That's a, that's a big question. How, how come she didn't see? She thought it was the gardener. Why didn't she see it was Jesus? Oh, I know, he was in a whole new body. But why didn't she believe it was Jesus? Why didn't she see? And I was, I was asked that question this week. Why didn't she notice? And I think that, and I'm just, this is my opinion, but from, from living this many, these many years and, and living through, through good times and very tough times, watch my choices. I watch whether, whether my human nature takes over the situation or whether I choose to open my spiritual eyes and go to God's word and hear Jesus tell me that he will always be my light. He will always walk me through. And I think we see here that, that Mary didn't recognize him because she was so blinded in her grief that she didn't even know he was standing right there. Oh man, that, that's so familiar. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that my hard time or my sorrow or my suffering is so intense and it's, it's taken me down to the point of, of just hopelessness and I'm thinking there can't be anything good that comes from this and I can't and I'm just stuck in the darkness. 
And that's, that's keeping me from hearing Jesus say, I'm right here. I'm right here. I always have been and I always will be. But you have to choose to look. Woman, he said. Woman, why are you crying? Said the same, asked the same question that the angels did. Why? Mary, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? You should know. I told you. I told you this was going to happen. This shouldn't be a surprise to you. Why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Oh, I... I I can hear her, her longing, her love here. Dear sir, sir, if you know, any, if you got any information for me, I gotta get him. I loved him so much. Look at she was so brave. Look at she was so brave, saying, "Just tell me where he is. I will get him." And yet she couldn't see who was right there. And what did Jesus do? After he asked her the question, he did ask her that question, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? You should be looking for me. You should know that I am here, that this is what I told you. But he saw it. She poured out her heart. And all he said to her was, Mary. Oh, that's all he had to say. Call her by her name. Call her by her name. And I couldn't help but go to the uh, passage in Isaiah 43. When I hear the Lord through Isaiah say these words, I summon you by name. You are mine when you go through the rivers and the floods and even the fire, I will be there. I am your savior. He calls us by name. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. All of a sudden, yes, she knows who he is because Jesus called her by name. And then he said this to her. Do not hold on to me. Now, in the King James, it says, don't touch me. And I think for many years, I thought that Jesus didn't want to be touched in his new body. But then later, he has Thomas. He has Thomas touch him. So I'm thinking, how come Mary couldn't touch him? But then the more, the more you get into it and you hear and see different versions, do not hold on to me. When you see Mary, if you're in the story and you are, you are seeing all of a sudden, she sees who Jesus is. She 
holds on to him. She wants to keep him. She's lost him once. She is not going to lose him again. I think she held on. I think she was going to hold on to him, not, not to defile him because he is in a new body, but, but to detain him. And so when I think about it in those terms, then it makes sense to me when he says, don't hold on to me. In other words, I can't stay here, Mary. I know you want me to, but I can't stay here. For I have not returned yet to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, this is your job, Mary. You go back to, the, to my brothers and you tell them, Tell them that I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Don't you love it when Jesus gets personal like that? And I think here too it's a danger sometimes when we just talk and tell the gospel story and, and we can tell it really well and Yet, if you don't put it, and he did it for me. We can know that he, he loved the world, and he died for the world, and he rose again for the world. And, and we can know these, yes, Jesus loves all the children of the world. And how, how we can know all the facts, and yet have we gotten to the point that we've made it personal. And here, here he says, I'm going back to my father and your father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. Now, it, it was news, all right. You know, Jesus was going back to his father and his God, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, he had a totally different relationship with God the Father than what we do then. But do you realize when Jesus prayed, he wanted all of us one. May they know you as I know you. Remember when he said that? So even though we might look and say, well, yeah, he has a whole different reality. Well, yeah, he is God. He is God himself. But yet I think he wants us to know with that, he, that, that yes, he's going back to be God again. He's going back to his father and retain his place as the second Godhead of the, of the Trinity. He's going back to where he was and where he needs to be. But he wants us to make sure that we know him personally. So Mary, go tell him. Go tell him. And look, it, this just proves, I think, my point. Because look when Mary says, when she goes back, she says, I have seen the Lord. Five words that absolutely change your life. Five words when you can when you can take it personally and you can say because of a personal encounter 
encounter with Jesus because every one of us needs to come to him, not in a group and not even in couples. We all have to encounter a Savior on our own. And so these five words, I have seen the Lord. She will never be the same. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Boy, that was news, wasn't it? Then on, on the evening of that first day of the week, so that same day, we're still talking about the same day. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When the disciples were together, I just love that. I stopped there. I don't think I saw this before. They were together. Where were they the last time we, we, we were talking about them? Remember how they scattered everywhere. And now, remember, Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 11, I pray that they are one as we are one, he said. They, they got back together. They were together as Jesus' disciples. Oh, yeah, they were afraid. They, they knew that if they're going to do this to Jesus, then the, who knows what they're going to do to us. But then Jesus stood among them and said the words, peace be with you. Now, to me, peace is the opposite of fear. And he's saying, I don't want you living in fear. I want you to know that I can give you peace. And remember, he just said that before he was crucified. Those were some of his last words. He said to them, peace I leave with you. I don't want you fearful and panicked. I want you to be sure. I want you to be sure that I am who I am. And so peace be with you. When, when does peace, when can, when can we honestly say that we can have peace? I think we need to keep going back to I have peace because my sins are forgiven. We should start to prioritize and think, what's the worst thing that ever, ever could happen to me? What's the worst thing that could ever happen to me? And if we would, if we would think with spiritual eyes and spiritual ears and with our heart wide open, we would hear the Holy Spirit remind us that the worst thing that can happen to you is that you don't accept the cross. Peace, we can have peace knowing that the worst thing that, that can happen to us is that without Jesus, we're, we're hellbound. He's saying to them, peace be with you because I took care of the worst thing that could ever happen to you. I don't think we think of that enough. I don't think we realize that, that our salvation is the absolutely the 
best thing that could ever happen to us. And we can live in peace knowing that he has taken care of the ultimate worst that would have happened if he hadn't. And because I know I've been to the cross and I've accepted Jesus as my personal Savior and I understand what the resurrection meant for me, I can live in peace even with, an, with a world that is going crazy with fear and panic. I get, I get in, uh, every once in a while people will say, are you nervous? Are you nervous? Is this whole virus, is it, is it getting to you? Are you nervous? And I got to honestly say, no, I am not nervous. Sometimes I just have to turn the news off. Sometimes I just have to then go back in my Bible and to hear what Jesus says. Peace, I live with you because I've taken care of the worst thing, which is even bigger than a virus. I have taken care of your salvation for you. Another thing, peace, peace, I live with you. That sin that wants to grab onto us and we think that there, that it has got a grip that we can't possibly, that we can possibly let go of. Sin's got me, there's no hope here. No, I have peace because he broke the chain of sin. I have a choice now. Oh, I many times will, will just fall to myself and I will fall into my sin and what I want and that. But if I'm really in tune, if I'm really remaining in him and he remains in me, I find that that very thought that he at the cross broke the chain of sin and if I come to him, no temptation is too great if I go to him for my way of escape. And then I think, peace, peace, he, he, if, if I'm willing, that peace that he says that he wants to give me can take away my fear. That peace that he says that he gives me means that no matter what happens here, my future is secure. Now, isn't that, and shouldn't that, cause you and I to be far more at peace. And I don't believe that all these emotions that want to take over us and leave us with no peace, I don't think that's the abundant life that he said he came to give us. Peace be with you. And then he's, and then, and then, you know what, after he said that, he showed them, he showed them his hands and his side. I think he was saying, and it's because I did what I did, and there's pierce marks that prove what has happened to me, and because of what really truly happened, you can have peace. That showing us the hands and the, and, the, and the side mark is proof that he went through that for them so they could have peace. What a reminder. That's why I heard one time, and I, I believe it's true, the only earthly thing that we will see in heaven are the prints in Jesus' hands and feet and side. 
constant reminders that, that, that we're there with him in glory for all eternity is because of this. Because of these two chapters, we need to be reminded it is nothing we have done. The disciples were overjoyed, overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I'll tell you, what a difference when we choose to walk in the light when the darkness wants to take over us and we make a choice, a conscientious choice to walk in the light. We will see, we too will be overjoyed when we see the Lord. When we see him walk us through, when we see him give us the strength and the courage, when he says, fear not, he means it. When he says, for lo, I am with you always, he means it. He calls you and I by name. That should get our attention. We'll be overjoyed through it all. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. He said it again. He said it again. I want you living in peace. Peace be with you. And then he says this. The Father has sent me. I am sending you. The Father sent me to do this work. And now I need you to be sent out to take this message to the world so people can hear, because how are they going to know unless they hear it? They've got to know they have a Savior. They've got to know that there's hope. They've got to know that there's light. What does, he, what does he expect them to do? He expects them to tell their story. And, and every one of these men are going to go out and they'll say, I saw it with my own eyes. And the thing for you and I, when we tell our story, I love to tell the story to be my theme in glory, my story, your story. He says, I want you to tell that because you are different than you were. Tell the story. Teach them the truth of the gospel. Be willing to suffer for righteousness. Your job is to rescue the souls of men. And then it says, and with that, he breathed on them. He breathed on them. Now, where did you see that before? I remember, I went back to Genesis. I went back to Genesis, and I saw Jesus breathe into Adam the breath of life. There's something about when he breathes life into us. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. When you look at that, you have a tendency to think, oh, do they have the power to forgive? Not through themselves, but through the receiving of God's spirit. Now, the spirit working through these men, all they have to do is 
tell the truth of the gospel and they can tell the truth that their sins can be forgiven and if they tell it, these people can have the same forgiveness. But if they don't go out there and tell the story, the people aren't going to know and they aren't going to experience the forgiveness of sins. We have been given the authority, the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to tell people that their sins are forgiven. Nothing that we've done, but we've been given the, the truth of the gospel to be able to tell them that it's through Jesus and him alone and his sacrifice that they too can have that freedom. That's what their job was to be and that's what our job is to be. Now Thomas, now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. No. Oh. Well, a week later, he had that chance, didn't he? A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas this time was with him. And through the doors, even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said the same words, Peace be with you. And I think if we were there, if we could possibly see this interaction, we would watch Jesus walk right up to Thomas Because, again, he knows what we're thinking. He knows what we say. I mean, Psalm 139 always reminds us that he knows everything. He knows what we're going to say before we even say it. And what a confrontation when, when Jesus lovingly walked up to Thomas and said, okay, okay, this is what you, what you wanted. Okay, touch him. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into, the, into my sides. And then he said these few words, and I don't think you need a whole big, big, um, oh, another 25 minutes of explanation. No. No, I think it's very clear why faith pleases the Lord. Why faith? Our faith. And what is faith? Hebrews 11 1. It's having the assurance. It's having the certainty. Not of what we can see, but of the one we can't. He doesn't want us having to see. We just have to believe and trust that he is God, the ruler of the universe, the creator of this universe. He said, stop. Stop. Stop doubting. I think that's another emotion that is a killer. And he says right there, stop doubting and believe. That's what your Savior wants from you and I. He wants us to stop 
stop doubting. When the forces of this world want to overtake us, when our human emotions want to overtake us, he's saying, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. But Jesus came back and he said these words. I mean, he, he, he told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, who don't know how it's all going to turn out, who don't even know how they're all going to be affected. They're not sure of the circumstances, but they are sure of him. He said, blessed are those who are willing to believe, even though they haven't seen. John ends this chapter by saying, Jesus did many other miracles. He did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in, this, in, in that book, in this book. I mean, he's pretty much saying, oh, there's so much more I could tell you. But I singled this out. I singled Mary Magdalene out. I, I singled emotions out. I singled Thomas out. I'm telling you these things because it's just where human beings want to live. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we all have to come to that question when Jesus said to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Every one of us has got to answer that question And John says, I'm trying, I'm trying to help you by proving to you who he is. I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, is the Son of God, and that by believing, by believing, you may have life. You may have life in his name. Been, you can be set free of all the stuff that wants to overcome you. You know, I think John is saying you can be transformed. Because you know why I think that? Because he was. I went back and I studied up a little bit on who James, who James and John were the two brothers. And, and they were known as the Sons of Thunder. And I don't think they got that name other than that they earned it. I think they were rascals. They were known, at least from what I understand, these sons of thunder. They were rough and tough. They were aggressive and they were insensitive. Isn't that something? Does that sound like John? To you? James, James's brother was the first martyr. John was put on the Isle of Patmos and he wrote the Revelation. I mean, and this gospel, and first, second, third John for that matter. And you think... Yet their past was rough, tough, very aggressive, insensitive. And John says, 
you can be transformed by this life. There was a, a story in Luke chapter 9. I went and kind of showed their real personalities, James and John, before they were transformed. They were, they were in the village of Samaria, and, and the people there just would not accept the message. And that just ticked James and John off. And so what they said to Jesus, they, they let, you could rain down fire from heaven on them. So that story just kind of shows us that, yeah, they were rough and tough and insensitive, and they don't believe, and they, they, they don't care about this story, and so I'll just rain down fire on them. Well, I look at John, and I hear, and I don't know that much about James, but I do know he was the first martyr. That is scripture. But but they were transformed. They, they were changed by the power of Jesus' love. So, I end this today by saying to you, can you see a transformation? Have you been transformed? You, can you look back and, and know where your weaknesses are? And yeah, we still have them in that, but can you see that you're not what you used to be? Can you see you're listening more to God's spirit than you are yourself? Are you seeing that? Remember when Jesus prayed for us that, that, that we would be sanctified, that we would keep learning and growing, that we would keep knowing him? And the more you know them, the more self has to take its backseat. And you can't help but look in front of you and see a Savior who is leading you, who wants to lead you, who wants to be your light in the darkness. John knows. He says, I'm trying my best to tell you so that you too can know that he is Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He did do what he promised. His sacrifice was accepted. The cross did work, and the tomb is empty. And I'm telling you this because if you believe that, you will know what life in his name is all about. And what a way to live. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank you again for John. We thank you for proof that you have come to take the lost and buy them back. And you can not only redeem us, but transform us into the likeness of your son. And that takes a long time, but we want to be on that road. We want to become more and more like Jesus. And we know, we've heard the instructions that we now have a story that is to be sent out. Oh, it's not going to be liked and accepted all the time. And we're going to have to probably, um, just like the disciples, Jesus warned them, people hated me, they'll probably hate you. Lord, may we be courageous. May we love souls so much that we want to be able to be brave and strong with our story because it's only through your grace and your mercy 
that we can live in hope when all around us is hopeless. You are our hope. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray this all in your name through the power of your spirit. Amen.